Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the professor, Greg Dooley, and the pundit, Steve Clark. Men, take the mic. That's right. This is the Professor and the Pundit with Greg Dooley and Steve Clark. We're presented by Nick Hopwood, who's a certified financial planner, founder, and president of Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Greg, good to see you again. What's going on, man? How you been? Been great. Another week is uh, coming by, so we're sitting here in the studios talking about what's happened, and a lot has happened with the University of Michigan and with your schedule as well. Yeah, so we get into it a little bit on this episode, but I'm finally living the teacher life where I'm done with my classes and I need to figure out what to do this summer. And you talked to Sonny Vaccaro. We're going to have information about what he had to say with you in a phone call. Yeah, and we've gotten, by the way, great listener feedback, but a couple of listeners said, hey, you teased you were going to talk about your chat with Sonny Vaccaro, but you haven't talked about it yet. So, so we talk about that today, and we get into the Big Ten 2024-2025 schedule, at least a little bit, and some of the nuance there. But first, we start with this week in the NIL. And Jim Harbaugh, business partners and supporters of the NIL, are doing a roadshow across the country to help build support. Empower was created. Empower Brand for Life is a new venture created to assist student-athletes as they develop personal brands, build and navigate business ventures, and pursue opportunities through name, image, likeness. That is according to the official release, released, Greg, by the Michigan Football Program, which is a little bit different than the Michigan Athletic Department. What does that say to you? It says a couple of things. And yeah, so the cat's out of the bag. So if you've listened carefully to the last few shows, I've hinted that I've said there's a hunch, you know, I have a good feeling, whatever I said, Steve, that there would be some activity around NIL and fundraising, particularly around the football program. And it's this, it's the Empower program. I actually heard about this in my class weeks ago. My classes are off the record, but I knew about it, and I didn't know exactly how all the details of branding it or the schedule, but now that's out. And to your question, what does it say that this is a football kind of only thing? It says a lot, and what it says is, is another thing we talked about, is that the athletic department doesn't have, say, this overarching strategy or branding or integration with businesses, with leaders, with NIL, or with the coaches. So my understanding is that each team is kind of off doing their own thing, creating partnerships with collectives or not. And the football team got together and came up with this idea. So how do you understand what's going on? Why is Jim Harbaugh going out on the road? Is it just him? Is there a bunch of people in suits following him? Sure. So there are people helping organize all this. And the goal is to do a leader's and best version of NIL, which is partner with businesses, partner with business leaders, big donors, and not only raise money to use for NIL with the collectives. And they've partnered with a couple collectives. They partnered with Jared Wangler and Champion Circle. They partnered with Hale Impact. I don't know if Jamie Morris's collective Stadium in Maine fits in right now into this. They've partnered with them, but they are branding at Empower as it's bigger than just NIL and paying players. We are building future leaders. We are partnering with companies, businesses, big donors, 
with internships, with leadership opportunities, with advice, also with charitable opportunities. And so the message that they're sharing isn't just one of give us money so we can compete on the football field with NIL. It's bigger than that. It's yes, we want your money. (laughs) And here's how you can support us. Fill out this card. Give us your routing number. No, it's bigger than that. I'm thinking out loud without a whole lot of thought into this, because if you ever want to trust Greg with privacy, you can trust it with him because I didn't know about Empower coming out either. He's a man who has word. Things were off the record in his class. I don't know. But I think it's genius. Athletic departments and college football programs everywhere are rightfully highly guarded and protected. They're, they're very insular. With the sudden importance of NIL in such a short period of time, and some departments are adapting quicker than others. Collectives are becoming integral to recruiting and retaining players already inside a program. From an athletic or program perspective, there's reluctance to what must feel like a forced partnership. For them, there's too much on the line when it comes to compliance, possibly having to share what the business world would call proprietary information. You may have worked with some of these people running collectives, but in the past it was at arm's length and at a distance the program feels comfortable with. The NCAA has mandated that there's a degree of how much you can work with the collective, but it's sort of a feeling like a merger of equals with inexperienced people on one side who haven't played this game very long. By creating Empower, you've created a bridge between, but also a separation from the program and the collective. And I think Empower has a functioning arm of the program that can be seen as a lower rung in the hierarchy. If the collective works directly with Empower, then the collective can't go above and beyond them in the hierarchy. And that may seem like semantics to some people, but that's what I'm feeling. Yeah, and it does. It's a great way to put it. And it is designed this way for a reason, just as you described, because as soon as you have just a football NIL program, Michigan football, you run into problems with compliance you run into problems of deep association with the collectives, with deals and things like that. And those are outside of uh, NCA guidelines, but the collectives can, can manage a lot of that stuff. But you create a separate brand and you support this brand and you endorse this brand, but it is a separate entity and it's smart the way they've structured it. Yes. But it is just football right now. Let's keep that in mind. This is just football, which allows you to also say it's not the Michigan Athletic Department. It's not specifically something for a collective, but it is something that the football team came up with to benefit the football team, but it's a brand. It's a separate brand. Right. That's what it is right now. And that's important because of the next thing I think I wanted to talk about, which was the IRS guidelines that came out. Now, one of the collectives that are associated with is Hail Impact, which is this program. Again, just to reiterate, it enables student-athletes to provide uh, hours of charitable work with trusted charitable partners. And if you donate, $20 goes directly to a partner charitable uh, organization. 10% goes to overhead, and the rest would go to compensate those players for their hours worked. Well, the IRS came out with guidance. And I was a little surprised because I never expect, say, big organizations, government organizations to act relatively quickly, and this is relatively quick in my mind in in the sphere of NIL, and they didn't specifically say you can't have a 501c3 collective, right? 
But they took a big shot across the bow and put all of the collectives on notice and even gave examples of things that would be outside the bounds. And why is that important? Because the whole idea behind a nonprofit collective is facility to provide a tax deduction for a donor, okay? So if you're going to get a big donor, a lot of them want something. If it's not access, certainly they want to, to, to be able to deduct their donation. And many collectives have approved and gotten for 501c3 tax status, which enables that. The IRS basically said, watch it, because all you're doing is you're just come up with a way to create an entity that's paying people, which is not the spirit or the law that allows this. So where do we go from here? I don't know, but but Hale Impact is one of the cornerstones of the underlying collectives behind it. They feel that their program satisfies the requirements of 501c3 and in the grand spectrum of all the collectives who are set up as charitable collectives, they are very much on the, say, the good side probably of, of what that spectrum is. There are some that are just blatantly donate and we're going to pay our players and they're blatantly set up. They don't have any kind of really defined charitable work. We'll see where that goes. They are still functioning collective despite this guidance. I believe they're still waiting for their 501c approval, which will be important. So I think that's an interesting thing that came down from the IRS. So I'm looking at Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger, who yep. is their inside guy, the investigative guy for Sports Illustrated. Opening paragraphs in news that could rock the world, name, image, and likeness. <laughs> people running NIL collectives offering tax deductions could be breaking the law. Yeah. Boom. According to a memo released from the IRS chief counsel, nonprofit NIO collectives may be not tax exempt because the benefits they provide college athletes are, quote, not incidental, both qualitatively and quantitatively to any exempt purpose. Here's the problem, though. What they're saying is even if we gave you your letter, which is what your approval is, is, is comes in the form of a letter uh, for 501c3 status, they're saying that's still not good enough. We're going to look back at organizations that we gave approval for. I'm just saying, if you have it, it's bird in the hand, you mm -hmm. know, is better than, you know, several in the bush. That if you have your status, you can at least argue from the point about we were approved. They didn't limit themselves to say, just because we approved you doesn't mean <laughs> we didn't have this guidance before. We didn't come up with this decision before. So you can't hang your hat solely on the fact that we gave you 501c3 status. So there is a man, the same article from Ross Dellinger in Sports the, Illustrated, and the guy's name is Jason Bell. Yes, so I, I met him at the NIL oh, Summit. fantastic. You yes. met him in Atlanta. And so he, he is the co-founder of Student Athlete NIL, yep. who manages several for-profit for -profit collectors yes. and has been one of the loudest critics of non-profit collectives. As an example, this is a quote from the article, the IRS may grant that 501c3 and then come back a year later and say, what the bleep is going on? The kid is promoting the charity by driving around a Mercedes and tweeting about how great the charity is. <laughs> exactly. And he went off on nonprofit charities at the NIL Summit, and it was actually, it made it into my class. And now, you got to look at everyone who's talking here, because you led with it. He runs an NIL service. But he doesn't have a charitable option, and he's trying to sell schools on his approach to NIL. He's for-profit. So it's in his best interest to go after the nonprofit ones, but he has a point, right? He has a point. And by the way, he's a very good marketer. When I saw his quote in the SI article, I cracked up 
because not only is he publicly talking about taking down charitable collectives, I have a feeling he's doing it privately. And I don't know what lobbying efforts or how big his organization is, but he's clearly talking to a lot of people that the SI guy knew, let's go to Jason for a quote. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they got it. So we'll see where it goes. It will have a big impact. But again, the football program, I think, is smart because they're not solely hanging their hat on this tax deduction idea, right? They're selling something bigger, enabling future leaders to come out of the football program and helping people and maybe helping local businesses and charities and making the world a better place. That's what they're selling. And if you need a tax deduction for that, maybe that's a you problem, okay? You know, you know, you are getting something for your donation and not only helping the football program, but also helping these young men. And I say young men because that's who it's helping right now. So it's coming to your city. Maybe some of people listening are invited. It's coming to Ann Arbor <laughs> later in June. So if you want to find out more, it's M-Power, pronounced M-Power. That is going to be throughout entire off-season. Speaking of off-season, Greg, you're finally off-season. You have been going straight at it since fall, teaching a class for the very first time, got to repeat things in the winter semester, tried a new thing in the spring semester of April, May, and June, and you finally wrapped up your NIL class. This is my job. <laughs> Who says that in Animal House when all the students are leaving his class? Is that Animal House? I'm not joking. This is my job. Donald Sutherland. Yes. So, yeah, so I taught the history of college athletics in the fall and winter. I taught leading by coaching in the fall and winter. And then, as you guys know, the NIL class in the spring, which is a compressed semester. It's like halftime. And I just delivered my final exam recently and had an awesome class, learned a lot. But now what? So I left corporate America last year and I wouldn't count last summer as like a true off summer because what was I doing? I was preparing for the fall. I didn't know what to expect. I never taught before. Well, now suddenly, Steve, I know we have our podcast and I have three classes. So I'm going to teach all three in the fall and they're filling up, by the way, which is cool. I'm not sure what I'm going to do for the next couple months. So this is the teacher life, right? This is what they do. I know they all celebrate at the end of the year. They get their final grades in, but they get a good couple of months off, right? So that's me. Your chill time. I guess. You swing the club. You've already been out golfing twice this past week, right? Yeah, and I, I went to the uh, Rich Hewlett juvenile diabetes outing, which my family's been um, a part of. My nephew has type 1 diabetes. Actually, Coach Harbaugh was out there and some of the other coaches and players, and, and they had some athletes there who were getting NIL for, for their appearance um, at the Hewlett outing. I, I always kind of pictured myself as golf guy, like guy who likes to golf a lot, but when it comes down to it, I just don't go out and golf that much. I'm, it's usually in charitable outings and things like that, but maybe, maybe this is the time I pick up something like that. I don't know, but I have a lot of ideas and a lot of things. I may actually get involved with some multimedia stuff that one of the collectives actually is doing. We're talking about an idea where you're going to pair me with a former player and we're going to interview current athletes with with executives and business leaders and kind of pair them together and start a conversation. And so we're talking about that. So when I have something to announce, I'll do that here. I've written a couple articles for Hail to the Victors but they're done. So, <laughs> but I know we're going to keep doing the podcast and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this, this next couple months go. So a few podcasts back, Sonny Vaccaro, 
you talked about the possibility of talking to him. You did that. And we never got through the takeaways because of the other topics of conversation that have come up in the last few weeks. And I will add just a dovetail off on our last conversation. One of the things I am doing is connecting with potential guest speakers for my classes because one cornerstone of every class I have is I have, and I will give myself a little bit of a pat on the back, I have really, really high quality guest speakers. Speakers that often get paid to a lot of money to speak to large groups and large, powerful people at conferences or at corporate events. And I would definitely put Sonny Vaccaro in that category. And I am trying to actually get him back in the fall to speak. Gosh, I would probably lead with my NIL course just because he's so involved with that. But I think he would be amazing in both my other classes in the history of college athletics. He has such an important role. And in my leadership class, I mean, I know there's plenty of things he could share about being a groundbreaking, you know, person about his legacy. That would be interesting in all three. So I spent an hour and 15 minutes on the phone with them, and I was kind of inspired by the movie Air that it was out, and his name was getting bounced around. And when I was researching the NIL class, one of the professors who teaches a course at University of Washington said, you should speak to Sonny. He gave me his contact info, so I reached out to him, and we basically got on the phone and, and talked. And the guy's amazing, a fantastic dude. But he did have a couple interesting things to share about, really about how he kind of came and arrived at his kind of philosophy that early on that players should be paid. Here was one of the interesting things. His wife is a actress and they sat down and Steve, you remember ESPN classic, right? Mm-hmm. One thing that, by the way, one thing that this is, this is things that nobody cares about, but one thing that always pissed me off with ESPN classic, I don't have the kind of memory where I remember the score or the outcome of the game. Like, I'm watching ESPN Classic, and I'm watching it like... That's why you have me. Yeah, that's right. Well, Steve will know. But when they promote ESPN Classic, they used to tell you the outcome in the, in the info. If you hit info on it, the, they would say, Michigan defeated Iowa on the last second. Like, I don't remember that. Now, if you go back to, like, the 40s and 30s and 20s and 10s and all that, I, unfortunately, I, I do know the outcome a lot better. See, it's just what generation you're from, Greg. <laughs> yeah, you're incredibly right. old. So get this. His wife, beautiful woman, Pam, they're watching some game on ESPN Classic. And she says, Sonny, she goes, do the players get residuals? Which is a, you know, that's an actress term of they're showing a rerun, they're showing a movie. Part of their contract is they get paid residuals for their appearance, right? That's just one of the ways you continuously get paid after your work is done. It's one of the reasons why the writers are on strike writing for all of these programs because in the streaming wars, the residuals, it's hard to put a number on what those residuals are and what to pay actors and writers based on streaming series that have so many views by so many people. They haven't figured this out and that's what they're negotiating and they obviously haven't come up to a conclusion because the writers are on strike. This is sort of the same thing when it comes to actors. Now, it does not apply to podcasts because there are people who are just getting introduced to us right now on the Professor of the Pundit because I can see the data like when the shows and still our most popular show just because it's been out there that long is our first episode. That's the most listened to show. But I think it's because people are going, what's this? And maybe they listen to an start episode. At the beginning. Yeah, and they start at the beginning. This is and, not a television art. 
No. Thankfully, we have Nick supporting us, Nick Hopwood from Peak Wealth Management supporting us, but we're, we're not going to get residuals for this. So his reaction when his wife said that was like, no, of course not. They don't get, this is a football team. They don't, why would, you know. Uh, These are amateur athletes. Yeah. Vin, yeah. <laughs> why would Vinny Testaverde, you know, get residual? And then he, he kind of caught himself and he goes, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And Cha-ching! yeah, and that is really so that is really what started uh, the latest set of dominoes, which is a former player not seeing himself on ESPN Classic, right? But seeing himself at a video game, and that's at O'Bannon. And it didn't say O'Bannon, it just had his number, a left handed guy for playing on the UCLA team, which was clearly him, meant to be him, depicted in a game. And that's where Ed O'Bannon's or lawyers contacted him and said, you have a case here. And it was Vaccaro who was one of the people who knew Ed O'Bannon as, as a high school player and had a relationship with him. And he's the guy who really, really pushed him, supported him, used some of his legal contacts to really help that case go. And that's the case really where, while, while ultimately Ed O'Bannon and the players didn't get money from EA Sports, which by the way, they're athletes are fighting for right now about how much they should get paid for the latest iteration of the game. But it was really the case that called the NCAA's trust status or called them an antitrust and and really flagged them and saying, wait a minute, there's a problem with how you're structured here and how you're treating these athletes and you need to do something about it. And that's really what started the dominoes going on the state cases that ultimately led to Alston, that ultimately led, led to the NCAA backing off and going, yeah, you can get paid for your name, image and likeness. So that's that's really where it started. I asked him about Chris Weber and his relationship with those guys, and I talked to Jimmy King before I spoke to him and just said he was just an amazing guy, and he was just there to help people. And again, we talked about his status as someone who was kind of I, was kind of the villain, right, the evil guy in yeah. sports. And I think he sees the movie air and other people talking about him, engaging with him, and the, and the changing public sentiment around our view of amateur athletics, amateur in quotes, that his legacy is kind of being restored and he's seeing it happen while he's still alive. And I think it's important to him, which I'm hoping a reason why I can get him out this fall to really engage with my students. And also just, just as part of that legacy. And, I, and I'll tell you, I, I said, well, hey, there are other organizations. There, there's the Detroit Economic Club where there's all these other groups around that I, you know, that I'm sure they'd love I, I mentioned his name, and so many people go, yeah, you should, you should have him to speak here, speak there. And you know what he said? He said, my goal is to connect with students. I want to talk to students. I want to share my story with students. That's what he said. So we'll see. So stay tuned. We may need a sponsor to get him out here, though, so <laughs> I'll, we'll have to work on that one, Steve. Something like Title IX, when it comes out, it, it has been a slow-moving, ever-evolving process. And it's 50 years now of Title IX. It's sort of like watching a piece of straw slowly go down a river that doesn't have much of a flow this opened the floodgates yeah <laughs> not only it's it, these things happening but everybody's attitudes have changed and if you had a different attitude of, of what went on 30 years ago and supported that you you're put out to pasture uh, yeah for, for having that attitude so go with the flow yeah so i he he challenged me a couple of times and called me he kind of called me out and i said well what about high school players he's like of course they should be able to benefit from and then we talked about revenue sharing and he revealed to me that he actually put together a plan for revenue sharing obviously he didn't give me all the details but 
they actually, he got a very, very, very high-powered lawyer involved, and they put together kind of an outline of how you could compensate amateur athletes based on exposure on TV and, and exposure in media. And it really, it, it sounds like it came down to some formula of were you on the field, were you not on the field, how, how long were you on the field, and a way to kind of calculate it and do it and share in the, in the TV rights revenue. And I think that's coming. Mm-hmm. And the timing is interesting to talk about revenue sharing because you talk about Title IX, that had a huge impact on athletic department budgets, right? And so basically you have to have fair, equal programs, teams, number of athletes affected, serviced. So if you have a big NIL program that only benefits the – if you have a big marketing operation at your school that only benefits the football program, that's not allowed. That's not only is that an NCA violation, that's a Title IX violation. And they're two separate things. you got to be careful. So that had a big impact on athletic department budgets, which is why Don Canham at Michigan, the, the famous athletic director, flipped out about it. He was wrong. I mean, he, he was right that it had a huge impact on the athletic department. I think he was on the wrong side of history, though, as it being the right thing to do. It righted or wrong, and it was good for society. And the educational program aspect of it, it's not written for sports programs. It's written for educational programs, of which sports is a part of. It really helped women in society, but it had a big impact on athletic department budgets, okay? Revenue sharing will have a huge impact on athletic department budgets, bigger than, depending on how it's implemented and when it's implemented, bigger than anything. And that's where you're going to see, because NIL doesn't remember, it's, I think, yeah, there's probably ancillary impacts on development and things like that and how, how athletic departments are supported. And yes, some multimedia right contracts carve out a tiny little piece for NIL. But NIL is basically separate from the existing budget. It's go out and get your deal. Go out and find revenue. Go out and be supported by collectives. But it's not taking away their piece of the pie. Revenue sharing would do that. And Michigan's budget just came out. It's around $214 million. And all of that is to support the expenses of the athletic department, which happened to be exactly $214 you know, million. It's a break-even budget like it is every year. But what happens when a big chunk of that goes out of the athletic department's hands and into the athletes? You're going to see some changes, big time. Greg, we've reached halftime on The Professor and the Pundit. And when looking at your investments, it's easy in hindsight to say you knew where the markets were heading. But can you really predict the future and protect yourself if things don't go the way you expect? Here's a short word from our title sponsor, Nick Hopwood at Peak Wealth Management. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, CFP, from Peak Wealth Management. You probably went to Michigan, and you're probably super smart and successful. But don't reinvent the wheel when it comes to your finances. Work with someone who sponsors the content you love, someone who shares a common interest, a fiduciary. Work with a team of CFPs, the team, the team, the team. Learn more about my team at peakwm.com. Retire with confidence. And thanks, Nick. Investing news and market movers are just another shared interest of the professor and the pundit. That's peakwm.com. All right. So another thing in the news was the Big Ten schedule came out for 24 and 25, and they just released it for two years, Steve. And they branded it the Flex Protect Plus 
And it was a topic that came up in my NIL class, but we haven't talked about it a lot, even at Oscars. What are your takes and takeaways from what they did here? Because it was pretty interesting about how they structured it. And so it's almost been a year since USC and UCLA were announced to join the Big Ten. And it's been about that long with people like me and other people in the media have been mulling over what a schedule might actually look like with 16 teams and with USC and UCLA joining in. Individual universities inside the Big Ten, they wanted to make sure that they had certain games protected. The other thing that they wanted was that every team would host every other Big Ten team within a four-year period. Why a four-year period? Because a student-athlete is going to play for four to five years, and they want to make sure that everybody has the experience of hosting a team and then going on the road to that same team. Now, how did they do that, though, by just the next two years defined? Did they say, yes, we haven't released the others, but trust us? Yeah, I think it's going to be that way in 26-27, which hasn't been announced yet, and they probably could have done that, but they just did 24 and 25. I'm just telling you, it's important to programs that everybody play everyone at somebody else's place. Makes sense. For example, Georgia still hasn't played Texas A&M at Kyle Field, and Texas A&M joined the SEC in 2012. Georgia hasn't played there yet. That's really, that's, yeah, you don't want that. And the SEC announced that they're sticking with their eight-game schedule. As these conferences get bigger, and of course there's the talk about, hey, why not stop at 16? Let's go to 20. Let's go to 24. These things are going to get to a point where if they really don't think about it, you're almost going to have two separate conferences playing within a conference. It's almost right. like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 getting together, but teams in the Big Ten won't play teams in the Pac-12, but it will be called the Big Ten. And speaking of that, they did get rid of the divisions, right, as yes. part of this announcement. Right. So it's just a big line of teams. Eventually, a consensus was formed by people in the media, and they've had you know almost a year to, to think about this. And they believe that divisions would be eliminated. That's exactly what happened. I'm a little concerned about divisions being eliminated, but I'll get to that in just a little bit. There was a consensus on each team having three protected rivalries, but it seemed to be far less than a perfect plan and a solution because three for some would be easy. Like Iowa would certainly want Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska as their three protected ones. But where does Rutgers fall in? And, and, and if they're you, play- How about UCLA and USC? Exactly. <laughs> USC and UCLA have each other, but then what after that? Yeah. And are, they, are they joining teams that didn't really want them or need them? And it, it, it seems a little bit forced. Even more forced was a minority opinion of taking it a step further and having a pod system. Okay, now by name alone, the professor and the pundit loves the name pod. We love it. But I came up with three good pods that the TV networks would like. So basically 16 teams, four groups of four is what you're talking about. And we're calling one of the groups of four a pod. A pod. Yeah, okay, I got you. So pod one, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, USC. That would be the one the networks would salivate over, playing all the time against one another. That would be epic. (laughs) Pod two... Makes sense. Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. Western heartland, the plains. Rivalry trophies galore. A lot of corn, a lot of dairy. It all works out. Pigs, axes, corn. (laughs) Yeah. Pod three, again, regionally based. A lot of history, a lot of time together. Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, Northwestern. Yep, right in the pocket. Okay. Those are three great pods. Okay, there might be problems with schedule equity among that, but those are three great pods. What are you left with in pod four? 
Michigan State, Maryland, Rutgers, and UCLA. Yeah. That's a hodgepodge. And that's going to be four schools that aren't going to necessarily be happy with that. And they're going to feel like a leftover. It was brought about, but it was less popular than this three protected rivalry situation. But again, it, it, there's some flaws in that. So I think there was a lot of people like me were just waiting for this moment for these schedules to be released so that we could expose it and be angry about it. When the Big Ten released it, and the Flex Protect Plus, which nobody, I think, had heard of until the day before, where Nicole Auerbach released it as yeah. a part of The Athletic, the actual name for it. I don't think anybody had ever heard of that. Um, I have to be honest, it won me over. And I, I'm not sure it won everybody over, but, boy, I, there, was, there was few criticisms of it compared to what the no, SEC did. I, and I read more praise, and I give them credit because people get locked into the symmetry. Like, oh, we have to have this or that. And they said, no, we don't. We can be flexible. I give them credit for that because I just feel like organizations tend to go, we have to lock into a, a system. And they, they said, no, we don't. We don't. Let's do it this way. And I, I'm with you. I, th- I like how they did it. I have some questions, but I want to hear other reaction that you have. I mean, yeah. Penn State jumps out as not having any rival, you know? Right. And that's, it's funny because Seth Fisher of MGO blog also writes, he used to do a preseason magazine for Penn State. And the thing that they like to say about themselves is unrivaled. Mm-hmm. Well, here you go. Yeah. You're unrivaled. You don't have one. <laughs> yeah. You don't have you don't one. Get, you don't get one. It, it, it does seem kind of interesting that they seem to be a little bit left out into the side. I think Penn State enjoyed playing Ohio State every year the most. If they had their druthers. Yeah. Michigan would be second. And Penn State and Ohio, didn't they do like a high school football game against each they other? Do. Big it's, 33. It's, yeah, it's, there is a kinship there. Pittsburgh and Columbus are relatively close, right? They're, they're yeah. bordering states. Yeah. Close proximity. The games themselves over the last 10 years, dominated by Ohio State, but also very close games for the most part. Yeah. I think Ohio State's won nine of the last 10. We all remember the Penn State game. It changed James Franklin's career at Penn State. He was on the verge of being fired. They block a punt. They get the game-winning touchdown off that. And Penn State ended up representing the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl despite losing to Michigan by 40 points that year. The Michigan-Penn State thing is a whole other topic. Michigan people feel they're much better than Penn State, and people in Happy Valley feel they're much better than Michigan. So if they ever think there's a number two team in the Big Ten, Michigan thinks they're number one, and Penn State at least thinks they're number two, but it's against Ohio State being the other. More on that at a different time. But God, these teams are going to hate this march up to a thousand all-time wins for Michigan. Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> they're going to hate on yes, this. Yes, we so. we talked about that, yeah. and I hope I hope it's there every week. The countdown to one thousand. But <laughs> what I think is important is schedule equity, and you're getting to a point where if the SEC is playing eight conference games, and there's fifteen conference opponents, you're playing a little bit over forty percent, but less than fifty percent of your conference schedule. And if you're eliminating divisions and you're going to play the top two teams in the conference when you haven't played 50% of the teams in the conference, how does that mesh itself out? Yeah. I mean, there are going to be tiebreakers, obviously, and it might get to you know level 6-F right. to figure that out some year. And then coin toss. There's, yeah, there's, <laughs> going, there's going to be a year where a team didn't play anybody. They managed to play the bottom 50% of their entire conference schedule and not the top 50%. 
somebody else is going to get screwed the other way around. They're playing all the teams in the top 50, not playing anybody in the lower 50, and they're going to get screwed by not you know, playing in a championship that way. So schedule equity is important. So I wanted to figure out, if I'm going to have a gripe and a criticism about it, Greg, what is schedule equity? This can always change because programs rise and fall. Look at Nebraska, look at Wisconsin, heck, look at Michigan between 2007 and 2021, okay? There's a big difference. Let's admit that. Michigan State filled the void for a while. Michigan State, a year ago at this time, Greg, was considered a potential playoff contender, and exactly one year later, people are wondering if Michigan State's going to make a bowl. So we know these things ebb and flow, even more so with the transfer portal. But I needed to come up with a criteria, what's fair and equitable? So I looked at the Big Ten teams that would have made the future playoff coming in 2024-2025, 12-team playoff. What are the Big Ten teams that would have been in the top 12 for 2022? And there would have been four playoff teams out of the Big Ten. Michigan-Ohio State obviously made the top four, but USC finished 10th by the committee, and Penn State finished 11th. Where did UCLA? Do you know where they filled in? uh, Yes, I do. They finished 18th. Okay. And Purdue was just outside them? Yeah, Purdue was not even okay. Not even right. I'm just curious because yeah. they were in the championship game. Yeah, yeah they were yeah, in the championship yeah, yeah. game, but they were not in the top 25. Okay, wow. Okay. So I had a few tiers. Tier number one was going to be the teams that would have made the playoff. And Makes those sense. are the four teams, Michigan, yeah. Ohio State, USC, and Penn State. So I looked to see at the 2024 schedule. And Michigan would be playing two of those three teams. Okay, they'd be playing Ohio State and they'd be playing USC. Ohio State would be playing Michigan and Penn State. So that's two of the three teams. USC would be playing two of those three teams. And Penn State also would be playing two of the three teams. So of those super four teams that make up of tier one, each of those four teams are playing two of the three. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Pretty fair and equitable. The second tier consisted of one team. Who else was ranked? That wouldn't have okay. made the playoff in the top 12, but was rated in the top 25. There was only one team that fit that criteria, and that was UCLA at number 18. So that's another tier. And then, Greg, here's my third tier. Additional teams with an above 500 conference record, and there are four of them all out of the Big Ten West, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota. Nine teams that fit three criterias. If you're a member of those nine teams, you could only potentially play eight of those opponents. Make sense? Because yep. you're the ninth. Right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so Michigan plays five of those eight teams. Okay, makes sense. Ohio State plays six of those eight teams. USC plays six of those eight teams. Michigan State, let's throw Michigan State in there just to see how they do. They're local. They play five of those nine teams. Michigan State's yep, not a not member of the that. nine, yep. so... Possibility is nine. They play five of those teams. Your winner for 2024 is Penn State. Penn State is playing three of those eight teams. Now, I told you they're playing two of the top tiers. Yeah. They've got Ohio State and USC. And by the way, both those games against those playoff teams are in Happy Valley. So again, another definitive advantage where Michigan is playing their two teams both on the road. Ohio State and USC are both on the road. Advantage, like Nick Pakai, Penn State. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so they're only playing three of the eight teams where Michigan, Ohio State, USC is either playing five or six. 
So they have an advantage for 2024, but it is the opposite in 2025, where Penn State is going to play, I believe, six out of the eight in their schedule. And a lot of those games are going to be on the road. Michigan's 2025 schedule is probably easier than it is on 2024, but you see there's some equitable, even strategy put in there. what I'm hearing, if you ask me to sum up what I just heard, Steve, and I I like the way you did it, and geez, I wonder if that went into how the Big Ten structured it. I feel like that's pretty fair. Yeah. Even, that, that's what I'm hearing you tell me. Yeah. You, you did what you did. You had to. You used the data. But Minnesota might drop out of that tier. And so, so we don't know. But the fact is there's not a shocking imbalance in what you just told me is what I'm hearing. That's what I was expecting. Yeah. I was expecting a shocking imbalance. I expected other people to find things that I didn't find and see. And nobody's coming out with that. In fact, people are pretty muted about the criticism of what the Big Ten put out. And if the media is muted about it, then the Big Ten needs a standing ovation. Yeah, and I I do wonder when the playoff comes out, it does seem like, though, it it will solve some of the problems with conference tiebreakers and things like that, because won't the third team that, let's say there's a third team that had a good case, wouldn't you see them, though, in the playoff? Like, wouldn't that third team, maybe the fourth team, get in the playoff? I could definitely see three teams being in a Big Ten playoff, which means one of them's not playing in the championship game. But you have to realize that a conference champion is going to grab one of those spots. And there were two upsets. There were two teams with three losses on their record that would have made the top 12, but they were conference champions as an underdog. So, like, Kansas State. Kansas State. State. Yeah, yeah. TCU. Yeah, yeah. So TCU and Kansas State would both okay. be in. They would okay. normally th- So this is this is like bubble watch for the NCAA it, tournament. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is. Okay. You know the SEC is going to feel by birthright that they deserve eight of those twelve spots. <laughs> right. But there is the conference spots, and then there are eight at large teams. But one of them is probably going to be Notre Dame because even if Notre Dame plays like a top 20 team, they're going to try to find a way yeah, to get them in there. To yeah. get, get there in the top 12. The ACC is no longer a one team conference. Florida State is joining the fray. And so there's going to be these runner ups that happen. And of course, you want to talk about fairness. Everyone's excited about these Southern teams coming up north, only if you're in the top eight. Right. But what you won't get, though, is what would have happened if in the Purdue scenario where a pockmarked several-loss team finagles its way into the championship game and, and let's just say Purdue somehow beat Michigan. Like, that scenario isn't on the table anymore as you got rid of divisions. The two, the two top Big Ten teams will be really good teams and highly ranked teams. There's no, there's no avoiding that. Right. Correct. So, for example, otherwise a three-loss team that loses the conference championship game, and if you're out in the so-called Old West, yeah, okay, no, they're not going to be able to get through that, and they'll they'll find another team to pop them in its place. But there's going to be like that with a whole bunch of other conferences. Yeah. So there is going to be a lot of competition for those 12 spots. Eventually, they're going to say 12 is not enough, and probably go to 16. Then you're going to start really diluting the, the regular season. Which is a which is another argument. I I was gonna say so. So that's good. So on my mind is well, what if Michigan loses to Texas? You know, when Texas plays in Ann Arbor, and there's obviously the path to whatever you want is still in your control after that. And where it, where it wasn't always that way. And I think that's a good outcome. So everything doesn't hinge on a win or a loss early in the season, which I felt like it did before. Although a lot of one loss teams got in the playoff. You definitely see a bunch of two-loss teams getting in, I do, into that top 12. 
So I like it. It's a good balance. But if you expand this playoff even further, then I think maybe that's that's the tipping point when you get some problems. I always feel eventually it's going to happen because fields don't shrink. They always grow. <laughs> that's true. And the one thing that I've noticed is that people are only happy with the new system only for a few years before they start poking holes into it. And the obvious solution everybody has is, well, let's just make it bigger right? to get rid of the complaints. No one is going to be satisfied with a 12-team playoff, I believe, in the next five years. They're going to be want something different, want something more, criticize the process, try to right the wrongs that are going on and revamp the system until they get what they want. It's a slow process, but I, I have a feeling there's going to be kumbaya for maybe two or three years into the whole of this thing before people start getting disgruntled. We'll see. I mean, even the God's gift to tournaments is the 64-team NCAA tournament. It's perfect. Right? Which is now 68. <laughs> right, which is now 68. So they slipped in the other games. Maybe they'll do something like that. Look, they got to figure out, and, and we talked about revenue sharing. I mean, look, I had football players in my class, and one of them was like, I showed them the chart of how many games they could play. And it won the playoff with just 17. You could play 17 games now. And man, they already don't go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And now we're potentially into February. That's the problem. Now, maybe you eliminate some of the preseason games if the money's enough. So Michigan released its athletic budget, I mentioned. Like, we only play seven games. So they said, well, yeah, so there's about a $9 million shortfall from the previous year because we play one fewer game. Well, that's just the tickets. Okay, there's a lot more involved in, in a home game. So it's it's well over $10 million proposition for a home game. Can you get rid of that and make the preseason shorter to expand the playoff? Is the money there? That's the question. You have to budget in seven home games. So that at least you can bring somebody in one year and go out to their place another. Michigan chose the path to bring in extra revenue. They're having 15 home games every two years. Yep. But with that comes patsies. And if you want a one-game non-conference rotator with a top school like a Texas or an Oklahoma that other Big Ten schools are doing, you're going to have to budget in an average of seven home games per season to make it work. Some are going to do it. Some are not. Yep, and it's it's such a huge aspect of Michigan's budget because we have such a giant stadium with all the suites and everything. So someone's got to pay for these video boards, Steve. And they're they're coming in right now. By the way, they're coming in. They're a little bigger. They look nice. So we'll see. So I've been putting show notes like photos. If we've talked about something with a visual aspect, I've been putting that on on M Victor, so you can see that in the show notes. They're linked in the podcast episode. The Charles Woodson Mott charitable event event on Maine to benefit the children's hospitals coming up. I'm going to be stopping by that. I should have some stories. And I bid on coffee with a pretty famous coach at the Rich Hewlett outing to so sit with a famous coach from around here. And I'm going to tease that because it hasn't been set up yet. But when I do, I'm hoping I can share some fun stories from that. Sounds great, too. Greg. That's awesome. going to wrap it up on The Professor and the Pundit. We want to remind people to contact our title sponsor, Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner at Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. He's making this podcast possible. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it. Rate it if you like as well. And don't forget to share it with others who may be interested. Our episodes drop on Wednesday morning. So until next time, remember, everything is bright and rosy at Michigan because they are back-to-back Big Ten champs. They are winners over Ohio State and Michigan State. Go Blue! Go Blue! Go Blue!